0: Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Hart. It's happy week eight, everyone. Almost halfway through the entire football season already. Mad times we live in. Today's topic, of course, as we do every single Tuesday, hitting up that waiver wire, who to keep, who to cut, all that and much more. And joining me as always, PFF's finest analyst, Nathan Yonke. Nathan, great. How you doing, man?
1: Uh, Doing well. Enjoyed the Monday Night Football game last night. Got to see Justin
0: Fields do his thing against a good Patriots defense, so all good here. I don't want to hurt myself patting our own backs, Nate. I think someone did happen to say that Justin Fields was the preferred waiver wire pickup of last week. Always nice, you know, when the broke clock is right at least twice a day. So going to get on to, you know, again, going through each and every position with our top five waiver wire pickups of the week here in just a minute. As always, going to start this podcast off, though, with the sheesh report, all the near misses, all the touchdowns that got nullified, all the things that if you didn't watch every snap of every game, you might not actually pick up and realize just how close you were to actually winning that fantasy matchup. So again, before we move on to week eight, just can go over some of the biggest near misses from week seven starting with Tampa Bay Buccaneers wide receiver Mike Evans. Literally 75 seconds into the week, had a 64-yard touchdown all alone after the cornerback fell down, dropped it about three times on the balls too. He was pissed off. Fantasy managers were pissed off. Tom Brady was pissed off. It was like one of the worst nine-catch, 96-yard performances you'll ever see out of Mike Evans because of that one. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, unfortunately, had three different examples of big plays and or touchdowns ultimately not happening because he didn't put the ball where it needed to be. Rare snap for James Robinson, ran a wheel, got open against Jalen Smith. Trevor Lawrence sailed a potential 14-yard touchdown. Zay Jones was even more wide open for a potential 17-yard touchdown. Trevor Lawrence sailed that one as well. And finally, Christian Kirk could have had an extra 25 yards on his tally if Lawrence didn't sail one long. More on the Jaguars in just a minute. But we'll also note that Seahawks wide receiver Tyler Lockett did have a step over the middle of the field. look like it could have been a 23-yard score. Rare misfire from Geno Smith. And finally, Chargers tight end Gerald Everett, wide open in the end zone from five yards out. He put the hand up, a little too much pressure on Justin Herbert. and His pass sailed long and incomplete out the back of the end zone. Three big drops stood out to me this week. The first one was pretty wild. Again, this Jaguars game just full of sheesh moments uh, out there. But Hail Mary before the half. We were making fun of Trevor Lawrence's first Hail Mary of the year a few weeks ago. This one definitely got to the end zone. That's good. Went a little too far, you could argue, and Zay Jones was out the back of the end zone. But, man, Nate, sometimes, you know, you see the stuff in the fast motion, and you're like, that that really just hit him in the chest. And, yes, once you actually zoomed in and got the slow-mo replay, potential 50-yard Hail Mary truly hit Zay Jones in the numbers all the way down in the back of the end zone. So, again, if you would have caught it, probably would have been out of bounds anyway. That's kind of on him. Just adds to the sheeshness of the moment. we we'll also note Saints wide receiver Traquan Smith had a potential seven-yard touchdown bounce right off his hand. And Packers wide receiver Amari Rodgers, at least a 30-yard gain, if not a 53-yard touchdown, bounced off his hands deep downfield. Four different touchdowns were taken off the board because of penalties, whether you believe the penalties were warranted or not. Amari Cooper, 34 yard touchdown reception, offensive pass interference on a, I thought it was a veteran push off of Marcus Peters, Nate. Looking at Peter's reaction of it, he acted like he got shot out there. I don't know. I thought it was uh, less egregious than they made it out to be. Chiefs tight end, Travis Kelsey scored a 14 yard touchdown, offsetting offsides and illegal hands to face penalties. Took that off the board. Jesus Schuster almost had a second uh, touchdown. Unfortunately, Jarek McKinnon took out Nick bosa on an illegal block below the waist but tough to blame jarek man just don't let nick bosa go take patrick mahomes head off you see where Jerick was coming from there and finally the packers defense my god this Review put the game like 10 minutes behind every other one out there because it took so long. But Rasul Douglas picked up a Taylor Haneke fumble, took it 62 yards back the other way. Rather if the illegal contact penalty brought it all the way back. Two more big notes on just some weird stuff. Jaguars running back Travis Etienne, suddenly a complete workhorse. What have had a second touchdown? Probably would have uh and, you know, I would have probably would have good uh good English again. But yeah, 17-yard score had a one-on-one situation with the safety, and it was just a great open field tackle to not only stop ETN, but knock that football out and take away the score. Another Jaguars moment at the end of the game, Christian Kirk caught the 16-yard pass, got down the one-yard line, could not get into the end zone, and time had to expire. So even after all that, you know, sheeshness going on in Jacksonville, still had a chance to win the last play, just couldn't quite get there. Final notes here, unrealized air yards, guys. All this is, again, receiving yards, obviously what you catch and get. Air yards, if I throw a 50-yard pass downfield to Nate and it hits the ground incomplete, those are 50 air yards, zero receiving yards. If I throw it to Nate and he takes it for a 75-yard touchdown, still only 50 air yards because that's how the the ball uh, went into the air. So number one leader in terms of the difference in their receiving yards and their air yards Broncos wide receiver, Colton Sutton, 118 unrealized air yards, second place Buccaneers wide receiver, Mike Evans with 112, Jay Jones with 105, KJ Hamler 101, Tyreek Hill with 100, Marvin Jones, Marquez Calloway, and Chris Lave, only guys also over 65. So with that date, we are officially on to week eight. Let's get these people away for wire help that they need. So first of all, Nate, you have your big five always up on PFF.com starting on Tuesday and Leading off the list, Panthers starting running back, Chuba Hubbard. Yes, he did suffer an angle injury, but ESPN's Adam Schefter has already reported that he quote unquote could have come back in if needed. So we're moving forward, expecting Chuba to be the lead back in Carolina. What exactly did we see about his usage mate that makes you confident enough to put him as a top waiver wire to pickup of week eight?
1: Um, he had double the carries of Deonta Foreman in the first three quarters. He also ran more pass routes. So those were both very promising to see him seeing. Uh, notably more usage over those first three quarters. And then uh, Foreman made his stats look a lot better in the fourth quarter by playing a lot there. Um, They continued to highlight using the running backs, um, even though Christian McCaffrey is not there anymore, still had a very high target share for the running backs, still relied heavily on them. So it was good to see them not change their offense too much for these backup running backs either.
0: And I hate to be the guy take away the big play because I understand they made the big play happen. It's not that fair. With that said, I don't think Deontay Foreman is going to have too many sixty-yard runs. And look, I don't think Hubbard's is necessarily going to be having this good of a game moving forward as well. But if we are getting the pretty clear lead back, Nate, I think do think I do think that warrants, you know. 20, 25%? Fab, what are your thoughts here? Because at the same time, this is not like a Rashad White or an Alexander Madison. We're not going to be putting Chuba anywhere near the top 12. But hey, with some bye weeks going on, top 24 is in his potential weekly range of Oh uh,
1: Yeah, I completely agree with you there. I think that's a fair estimate. And I think Foreman is also still worth the waiver wire target just because he did have the 60-yard run. He did have a couple other decent plays in there as well. So there is a chance that this backfield could change. At some point of time, but as long as they're still featuring the running backs, it's at least worth having both of them to see what they can do.
0: Good to see, I mean, Deontay Foreman low-key, basically the first running back to kind of come back from that Achilles and still show that he has a little bit of juice. We saw that last year with Tennessee when Derrick Henry was missing the time down the stretch. Number two waiver wire pickup of week eight is going to be Baltimore Ravens running back Gus Edwards. First game off the pup list coming back from that knee injury. Nate, they eased in J.K. Dobbins. They really didn't ease in uh, Gus Edwards. He was the clear lead back. What are your expectations for here in the near term as long as J.K. Dobbins remains sidelined?
1: Uh, Yeah, looking at his stats, he had a great game. Looking at the usage in general, it was still a three-man backfield with all three backs seeing basically even amounts of playing time. So I think this amount of usage is probably something that we'll continue to see. Uh, Him not seeing as much playing time, but when he is on the field, he'll get a lot of carries. So I think he'll be pretty um, independent of game scripts. I think they'll still try getting him the ball significantly, at least in the short term, while J.K. Dobbins is still out but I think he doesn't have that ceiling to be a top 10 player just because he's not going to be catching passes. He's not going to be getting all of the carries because they'll rotate guys in and out throughout the game, but he still is capable of seeing double-digit carries every game and is very good when he does have the ball in his hands.
0: Death. Taxes. Gus Edwards averaging five yards per carry. The man's been doing it his entire career. And you do note in your week eight, five to add drop by low article that the Ravens do have one of the easiest remaining schedules. So if there is going to be a time for Gus to live on some of that efficiency, it would make sense if it is right now. I would note that, you know, Lamar hasn't had kind of the same sort of blistering uh, pace over here over the last month of action. In week one, I believe he accounted for three total touchdowns. Week two, he had four. Week three, he had five. Weeks four through seven combined, Nate, he only has three total touchdowns, I believe. So still got the decent floor because of the rushing, but we have seen them more and more willing to lean on Gus near the goal line, and that is how we got that beautiful two touchdown performance last week so again like chuba i don't view gus as someone that we need to be completely blowing our fab load on uh just you know 15 20 again nate even I, with gus again it's if you're in standard i think it changes a lot of things but he's not going to catch passes justice hill is out there and that was his first game back from injury and it was already was uh, pretty split anyway so similar to dobbins when we were looking at his usage i'm not expecting like gus necessarily become the 60 70 snap workhorse back even if he is going to get a little healthier in the upcoming week so 15 percent fab is that fair
1: Oh, yeah, I think that's fair. He's not going to win you your league, but he can be put in your starting lineups for a number of weeks.
0: Gus Evers does freaking roll. Shout out Drake Holiday in our YouTube comments pointing it out. Seriously, if you take Gus, I mean, he had some plays, man. I'm going to point this out uh, in the summer. He had this catch and run against the Giants like last year. Like if it would have been JK or yeah, I think it was last year. If it would have been JK Dobbins, like mainstream media would have lost their mind. Nate. I don't know what it is about Gus Edwards. Like what? Because he was undrafted. Like that doesn't seem to stop us with, uh, you know, the James Robinson hype going on. So I don't know what it is. I don't know what Gus Edwards needs to do, but that's fine. Let people sleep on Gus Edwards. We'll try to go get him at it. Discount number three waiver wire ad of week eight is going to be Colts wide receiver Paris Campbell. The man's caught seventeen passes from twenty targets over the past two weeks. After we all essentially wrote him off, that said, we are now switching from Matt Ryan to Sam Ellinger. So that would be my kind of biggest concern here. Nate would be can we expect this volume to continue? Either way, though, at a minimum, we are getting a guy cemented in three wide receiver sets in an offense that hey at least based on what we've seen so far, is willing to pass the ball. Whether that continues remains to be seen.
1: Oh Yeah, and he's been playing in two wide receiver sets plenty as well. Ideally, if a team is making a quarterback change, it's hopefully to a better quarterback and not a quarterback who isn't playing as well. So there's a chance he could be seeing some better targets thrown his way. The big question will be who is Ellinger's uh, favorite target going to be? So I'd be fine. Picking up Campbell, I'd also be fine picking up Alec Pierce just to see who ends up seeing an increase in targets going forward. And they seem to be at least liking passing the ball more. We've seen fewer runs to Jonathan Taylor, more passes to Jonathan Taylor. So this seems to be something that the offense is moving towards more passing. So I think it's a risky pickup for either of the Colts, uh, young wide receivers, but one of them could definitely pay off in the long
0: run. Don't think we're getting a situation where Campbell's going to be inside our top 24 anytime soon. As we talked about, it is usually better to, I think, save that fab Just have it in your back pocket for the potential three-down handcuff that becomes available. So Paris Campbell, someone I would say more so a 10% fab type of player to get. The same Ellinger experience will be interesting, as much as I would like to hope that he's just gonna feed Michael Pittman and, you know, just be there to exist, you know, uh, exist like Mike Winchell in those two seconds between getting the snap and handing the ball to your amazing running back. So I'm sure he's capable of that. Nate, have you looked at all about Ellinger's potential fantasy value in his own right? Because I was writing him up a little bit today. Averaged 41 rushing yards per game with 33 touchdowns on the ground in four years at Texas. He only ran a 489, 40 yard dash. Like, please don't confuse him with, you know, Justin Fields or Danny Vick or anyone like that. But hey, man, we did see some flashes, you know, throughout the 2022 preseason. He had like a 45 yard touchdown run on a play where they just kind of ignored him out there. So he does seem to have that style of play that fits a quarterback who can be, you know, better in fantasy football than real life. Any early thoughts on that quarterback switch?
1: Uh, sure. So I went straight back to reading our draft guide from that year, and he definitely does li- did like to run the ball a lot in college, but we weren't sure how well that rushing production would carry on to the NFL. So I think it is a little bit risky there. I think for me it was completely just different in superflex versus non-superflex. Superflex flex definitely going to pick him up just since there's only so many starting quarterbacks, and he potentially does have that rushing production, and there's a number of decent wide receivers and tight ends surrounding him so there's definitely a chance he can be a top 24 quarterback going forward but then when it comes to standard leagues I it's hard for me to see him getting all the way to the top 12 there's a chance that his rushing production could get there but we'll also be talking about guys like Daniel Jones who have been producing on the run game maybe not quite as good as a passer but still making him good enough to be a top 12 fantasy quarterback so far
0: God, that's a good transition taking us to our number one quarterback wave wire ad of the week, Danny Vick himself from the New York Giants, two hundred two yards and a touchdown, hundred passing, hundred seven yards and a touchdown rushing last week. The guy's the QB ten this season, and it's not completely out of the blue. After his rookie year in twenty nineteen, you know the sexiest stat out there was that only Lamar Jackson had more thirty point fantasy games than Daniel Jones. You know it was like seven to three, but hey, either way, it was technically true for that year. Even last season, before he got concussed against the Cowboys boys I mean I believe he had three top 12 weeks in the top four uh in the first four weeks of the season so yeah you look at the offense and you can say it's fluky but you know we don't really give Daniel Jones the same benefit of the doubt with these wide receivers being out that we do a lot of other quarterbacks out there so we do see him trying to start breaking things in with Juan Dale Robinson but more than anything Nate like we're seeing Daniel Jones at a minimum start to look a little bit more like early career Josh Allen i no, he is not going to turn into Josh Allen. Please, for the love of God, people, uh, don't put those words in my mouth. Just again, early career, before Josh Allen became a great, just incredible real life quarterback, he was still a top 10 fantasy quarterback because of how much he ran. And when you look at just the leaderboard right now in terms of which quarterbacks are running the most, you know, taking their 17 game pace this year, number one is Jalen Hurts at 218 rush attempts. That's his pace for this year. Justin Fields in second at 165, Lamar Jackson with 160. Fourth place is Daniel Jones with 140 rush attempts and Josh Allen at 133. So, yeah, it'd be great, Nate, if he could improve his efficiency a little bit. That said, man, this is the sort of quarterback, like we're hoping Eldridge can be, that is far more suited for fantasy football than real life. And that's not an insult because, look, they're also 6-1 and in real life as well. So, overall thoughts on Daniel Jones and how confident you are in his status, his legitimate status as we enter week eight as a top 10 fantasy quarterback.
1: Oh, yeah, maybe not quite top 10, but definitely top 12, I I'd consider him going forward. Um, he's had average passing production in the, at least the last couple of weeks, 592 passing yards, which is right around league average over a three week span. And then he has that top five or so rushing production. So when you combine those, you have a top 12 fantasy quarterback and Wanda Robinson, uh, he's become the favorite target, it seems like. Um, and that, relationship should just continue to grow as they've only played a couple games so far together. There's a chance we could get Tony some back this season. There's a chance we could get Galladay back sometime this season, which neither of those would be huge changes, but they should at least be upgrades to what they currently have on the outside. So there's a chance this offense could just get better as the season progresses
0: as well not asking a lot. And I will say with uh, some of that those passing numbers, I pissed off a lot of uh, Chargers fans this morning on the old uh, Twitter sphere. Nate, just comparing a couple stats with Justin Herbert and Daniel Jones. And as always, look, we're PFF employees. Obviously, we like our grades. I understand a lot of you are more skeptical. So what do I do? I don't purely hang my hat on the PFF grades. I like to use a lot of different statistics to hopefully paint the clearest picture possible. PFF passing grade this year, Justin Herbert 68.4, Daniel Jones 66.1. QB rating, 91 91- point eight versus 90 point eight yards per attempt they're both at 6.5 completion rate 66 66% percent versus 66.7 percent, and their average target depth is both in the bottom five in the league so yeah daniel jones has also a lot more rushing and justin herbert has better receivers justin herbert's also playing through a rib injury who do i think is the better real life quarterback 150 freaking million percent justin herbert but hey Right now, style points, you know, just how good a guy's future long-term outlook in the league doesn't really matter when we're just trying to win a week eight fantasy football contest. So Daniel Jones continues to be someone on that waiver wire that is going to be available in more leagues than not. And again, even if you aren't sold on Daniel Jones being you know, the long-term answer, the New York Giants under center, I do think that he could be the short-term answer for your fantasy football team. Now, number five and the number one tight end ad of the week is going to be Jacksonville Jaguars tight end Evan Ingram. It's funny, I was in uh, Chicago watching watching the games with – uh, so my buddies this week, uh, Nate. Lovely wedding experience, and my lovely—I mean, I don't know what kind of monsters have to get married on a Saturday during the fall, but whatever. It's in the—it's in the rearview mirror. Evan Ingram, though, like just—you uh, watch him out there. He still looks like a wide receiver. I think he's rocking number seventeen uh, out there, and just people don't really understand still that he is on the Jaguars and doing some pretty good things as you've been tracking throughout the year, Nate. He really is playing that—you know—more than seventy-five percent offensive role that we want pretty hard to get fantasy points when you're not on the field, and at a minimum, Evan Ingram has a full-time role in an offense that hasn't been the most consistent, but has shown the ability to flirt with some upper-end outcomes.
1: Uh, yeah, I'm going to have that wedding issue in like two weeks from now, so I get to enjoy that, but um, <laughs> with Ingram, he's like top four in routes run so far this season, so he is very much a high-volume, low-efficiency tight end, which is good enough to be a fantasy starter most of the time. Uh, 216 routes, which is huge, Um, 275 receiving yards, which is just fine for a tight end at this point. The only down point is he hasn't scored a touchdown yet. Um, Ideally, they'd start throwing it to him in the end zone, and that'll get him a couple of touchdowns, and that would be huge for his fantasy value. But even without those touchdowns, he's someone where, especially we still have several more weeks of bye weeks to go, perfectly happy having him fill in during a bye week as a starting fantasy tight end.
0: I'm just still mad. I think it was like week three or week four. He caught a touchdown. They somehow found a way to overturn it and say his foot was an inch out of bounds. These are the things that go through my head because I write this stupid sheesh column every single week, Nate. But people don't forget, and you know that. Before we move on to our positional breakdowns, I want to give a quick shout out to our lovely sponsors over at DraftKings. Guys, you can make every play feel exciting with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, and their unbeatable offers. Right now, new customers can make any $5 NFL bet and get 200 dollars in free bets if your team wins and check this out in addition to the usual bets everyone can boost their winnings with DraftKings stepped up same game parlays and to make things even sweeter you can throw down on stepped up same game parlays once per game day all season long download the DraftKings sportsbook app now and use promo code PFF to get $200 in free bets if your team wins just place a $5 bet on any football game only at DraftKings sportsbook using code PFF note that minimum age and eligibility restrictions apply see show notes for details Also, got to give a lovely shout out to our sponsors over at Sleeper. And our Sleeper of the Day segment is going to involve our top waiver wire pickup of the week. And yeah, we just went over the top five. How convenient is that? Again, number one, Chuba Hubbard, someone that we're looking at throwing about 20, 25% of our fab at. That said, just realize this is still a Panthers offense that we have six weeks telling us they are not very good. I love the PJ Walker experience last week, XFL Hall of Famer. Shame on any of you for doubting him. Just saying this is still a two back committee which we can live with in fantasy land, but I'm not expecting Chuba to be someone consistently that we're ever thinking about squeezing inside that top 15. That's why he's not somewhere going super out of our way to get, Similar sentiment with Gus Edwards. The two touchdowns were great last week, but we have no pass game floor and still going to be a three RB backfield. And that's just for these next three weeks that J.K. Dobbins is completely out of the picture. Could honestly flip and change in a major way once he is back. So Gus Edwards, more of a 15, 20% fab guy. Paris Campbell, number one wide receiver ad. Just realized we do have some uncertainty under center. I would not think that Paris is necessarily going to overtake Michael Pittman. I would really think that he won't. So with that said, only about a 10% fab guy for me. Similar sentiment with with daniel jones just because there are so many quarterbacks out there a lot in opposition you want to overly uh blow that fab on so daniel jones a 10 guy but hey he's a top 10 quarterback similar to geno smith man like how long does the guy need to put up these fancy numbers before we look in the mirror and say okay i guess he is a weekly top 10 quarterback and finally evan ingram top tight end ad just based on the fact that he's out there a bunch in an offense willing to throw the ball probably more than ever now that james robinson is out of town and he still has Not looked amazing this year, but I think at least, you know, gotten some of that Jason Garrett and do stink off him from past year. So if we are going to see Trevor Lawrence maybe stabilize things, become a little bit more consistent down the rest of this season, could mean big things for Evan Ingram. So again, loved my friends over at Sleeper. Not so much in our PFF Fantasy League, Nate, when I have all these amazing handcuffs. You know, it's all fun and games and zero RB till none of the uh, starting running backs that you've handcuffed actually get hurt throughout the season, but long way to go. And I'm going to use what we're talking about today to hopefully have better days ahead on the waiver wire. All right, we're going to break down, break down now position by position some of the top guys. And again, people, if you miss anything we say, you want more information, always go check out Nathan's articles at pff.com. He has his main wave of wire piece out every single Monday, and then his main five guys to add out on Tuesday. So at quarterback, Nate, you bring up that Kirk Cousins, only 67.5% rostered in ESPN leagues right now. He's looking at a matchup against a Cardinal secondary that just got flamed by Andy Dalton and company last week. They made their own plays as well, but just in terms of giving up 300 plus passing yards and four touchdowns, uh, the Red Rocket was able to get that going. So coming off the bye, I, I, again, if you guys want to just mock us, laugh, and say Kirk Cousins owned every single fantasy league, I figured that too. But I'm looking at the numbers, and it's telling us he's in two-thirds of them. So if you happen to be in that one-third, Nate Cousins should be the preferred ad of the week.
1: Uh, yeah, and I did this very thing. I like only having one quarterback on my roster, so I can roster as many running backs and wide receivers as I can. Cousins had the bye week, so I ended up cutting Cousins in at least one of my leagues so I could get a different quarterback. So I am one of the reasons that Cousins is available on a third of these leagues. So don't let me be the guy to be able to pick Cousins right back up. Go ahead and take Cousins since he's been a top 12 quarterback in terms of fantasy points per game so far, has plenty of great weapons, has continued to do this for a couple of years now. Um, probably not going to be a top five quarterback, but I think he can very consistently be a top 12 quarterback
0: going forward. It's honestly impressive he's been that good. He's only had one rushing touchdown. We're usually not getting that floor. We actually used to kind of have a little rushing floor for Kirk when he was in Washington back in the day. Still zero games with even 300 passing yards. He hasn't gotten three passing touchdowns yet. Those are things that I remember last year, man, doing a stat, and he was right up there with Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes as having the most amount of those games. So the volume's been there. Justin Jefferson, Thielen, like all these guys are still very much healthy. I would not be surprised that even better days are ahead for Kirk Cousins, but to your point already been a top 12 quarterback anyway we also have justin fields coming off that fantastic monday night football performance and when you look at justin nate it's a similar thing that kind of happened last year he came in against the 49ers as a rookie looked freaking terrible i I forget if it was the 49ers either way who he came in against he looked terrible things weren't good it was against the browns that's it miles Garrett. um but this year, first uh, four weeks of the season, QB 23, 28, 32, 25 in fantasy. Last three weeks, QB 12, QB 9, and QB 5. So, with Justin Fields, Nate, again, he's the epitome of what we're looking for in some of these quarterbacks, guys that can give you all those rush attempts. So, it's not I, – I know we're not freaking – Inventing the bicycle here, everyone, reinventing the bike, however the hell that expression goes. But hey, Justin Fields, he runs the ball a shit ton. We're starting to see the design rush attempts getting up and the passing game has started to look actually competent for extended stretches. How confident are you in Justin Fields versus like Daniel Jones moving forward? Who would you rather have on the roster for the next, uh, you know, nine weeks of the year?
1: Um, I think I'd go Daniel Jones long term, but Justin Fields does have a couple of nice matchups over these next few weeks. So I would say look at your starting quarterbacks, see when their bye week is, figure out who has a better matchup during that bye week. And then that's probably how I'm best deciding which of these quarterbacks I'd end up picking up.
0: Very fair, and yeah, Justin Fields owned in just 23.4% of ESPN leagues. Daniel Jones at 28.7%. For this week, I know you said short-term, so I, you know next three or four weeks could very well le- lean towards Fields, but again, Daniel Jones is the preferred ad this week because he is going to be facing off against a Seattle team that has just this- – Exactly what we want in a fantasy, you know, friendly matchup because they do have an offense with Geno Smith capable of putting up points and they have a defense basically incapable of slowing down pretty much anyone. So they have been playing a little bit better on that side of the ball over the past two weeks. But yes, Daniel Jones, top waiver wire streaming quarterback of the week. Kirk Cousins, though, if he's available, probably not. But if he is, then go get him. Justin Fields also offering plenty of potential down the road. Let's talk about the big trade that happened yesterday, Nate. I was driving back, you know, six freaking hours uh, from Chicago, and I didn't even see this until I got home at like 11 or, uh, or midnight or whatever it was. But James Robinson traded to the New York Jets. I believe it was a sixth-round pick that could become a fifth-round pick if he hits a pretty reasonable incentive out there. So it's not like they, you know, sold him team stock to basically get him there. With that said, it is a little more than nothing. So we already saw, obviously, the Jaguars move on to ETN completely in a workhorse role loving that legit top 10 top 12 running back the rest of the way in jacksonville what are you making of this new york jets situation though nate because we did see them be willing to give michael carter this 70 percent snap workload on three separate occasions last year and they did it this last week when Brees hall got hurt that said they didn't you know trade for james robinson to sit him on the bench are you expecting more of a 50 50 split or do you think this could really swing in the direction of james robinson
1: Um, I think it'll at least start out as a 50-50 split, and then they'll see how well James Robinson is doing. I think there's definitely the opportunity for Robinson to see as high as 70-75% share of the snaps, but I could also see if Robinson isn't playing as well, then Carter could rise back up to that 70% share of snaps. So I'd like to have either of these backs on my roster. The Jets have the best schedule for running backs over the rest of the season based on our strength of schedule tools. So um, one of these backs is probably going to have a very good rest of the season. There's a chance it could be a 50, 50 split and it's both of them. And it will be very matchup based, if you can start either of them, but I think both backs are good players. Um, I think Carter is the better receiver. So I think he has at least somewhat of
0: that floor baked in, but Robinson had the receiving role in the past in Jacksonville as well ever since zach wilson got back under center in week four this has been the league's seventh most run heavy offense of the days of flacco you know airing out the pigskin all around the field certainly are over might be a situation where both michael carter and james robinson can supply some consistent fancy goodness just please don't give me i don't want to look at these snaps next week nate and see ty freaking johnson out there getting 20 25 percent of the looks as always, we can live with two running back committees in the year 2022. Once we get three or God forbid four involved, things get much more concentrated. So Michael Carter already rostered on 68.7% of ESPN rosters. Like Nate, I'm not sure if you've already made your week eight rankings. I'm just about getting two running backs, but Michael Carter this week, I'll have him ahead of James Robinson, just because who knows like what Robinson's even going to be able to do in the first week, but no one Robinson's going to be there. Carter is someone that doesn't necessarily need to be squeezed in that top 24. If he is going to be in it, he's going to be far closer to 24 than 12. I don't think I'd be wanting to spend more than even like 10% of that on Michael Carter.
1: All right. And the leagues that he's available, there's light benches. So he's probably not worth too much more than the guys you already have on your bench. So 10%, I think is fair.
0: There are situation to briefly highlight. So the Los Angeles Rams, obviously coming off that bye week, still trying to trade cam makers. Uh, I was, uh, Oh my gosh, what's that show called? Um, uh good podcasting ian anyway daryl henderson lead running back for the rams 66.1 percent they are uh rostered in espn leagues they're trying to trade cam Akers. oh Shit's creek here we go if you guys have watched Shit's creek uh johnny was trying to buy a car one time from this dealer and the dude was just like all right let's get you back out to the store you know we'll get the paperwork going and johnny's like i'm not buying the car it's broken down you guys like hey i'll take 50 off 75 first, I can go. That's the Rams trying to trade Cam Akers right now. I have no idea why there would be a trade market for the dude. No great story and all that coming back from the Achilles. But for now, Daryl Henderson is the lead guy. That said, I don't think it's a given that Cam Akers is completely out of the picture here. They're, it's not looking good. But also, Nate, the big thing that could be happening is Kyron Williams getting back into the picture, maybe making his season debut. He did break his foot in the summer. But we're hearing some beat writers even talk about how back when he was healthy playing in the scrim- which is getting a lot of first team reps out there. So Malcolm Brown was in there still taking some of these snaps. How confident are you in Daryl Henderson actually being this starting Rams running back that we're going to want to have inside of starting lineups more weeks than not? Because I I know I've been in a couple of leagues, man, where I have tried to actively trade Daryl Henderson, you know, during the buy and even early into this week, just because I understand that Cam Akers is out of the picture. I don't think that necessarily implies that Daryl Henderson is their locked in answer, though.
1: Um, I'm fine trusting Daryl Henderson. This week, I'm fine probably trusting him for another two, three weeks. But then once Williams is healthy, that's when I'm starting to get concerned. So I think Henderson, probably one of the better options who's available in at least some leagues for this near term future. But if you're trying more so to look ahead to the fantasy playoffs and who could win you your league then, then Henderson's not the guy I'd be looking for.
0: Kyron Williams only owned 8.1% of leagues, not someone that if you're in, you know, usual eight, 10 man leagues that I think you're gonna have to worry about. But once you get to 12 or deeper, you guys have seen those wafer wires out there. Tough to get these guys sometimes that are potentially zero injuries away from having a big time role. Maybe just maybe we see this Rams offense start looking a little bit more like the group that Sean McVay coached over the past five years already talked quite a bit about the Panthers and Gus Edwards what are we making about this Broncos backfield Nathan Mike Boone is on IR unfortunately with that ankle injury so it's Melvin Gordon and Latavius Murray last week we were told that Melvin Gordon was a starter that didn't necessarily come to as much of you know as much fruition as people would have hoped similar thing with Isaiah Pacheco so thoughts on Latavius Murray versus Melvin Gordon moving forward
1: I think Murray's played better as a runner. So for that alone, I think Murray could very well be the lead rusher going forward. But I think the fact that Mike Boone's on injured reserve and Malvin Gordon took that third down role, mostly because he's a better blocker. He hasn't been much of a receiver throughout his career. So I could see, since Gordon's going to see more playing time on those passing downs, that could lead to more opportunities for Murray on those rundowns. Hopefully be able to see double-digit carries each week. So I think that's a situation where... He's another one of these guys like Gus Edwards. He's not going to be a top 15 running back, not going to win you your league, but he can be put in starting lineups in some situations. I would
0: note that that last part is very important. Some situations this Broncos offense hasn't been bad. They have been horrendous dead last in scoring this year. They have scored more than 16 points. One time that 23 point explosion against the Raiders back in week four from this offense where they didn't even have 300 total yards. So Yes, Latavius should be the lead early down guy. Maybe he does get those goal line opportunities. Just realize, I don't think this is the sort of team right now that we're necessarily going to want to invest a bunch in these complimentary pieces. So Latavius Murray certainly not someone I'm going to be blowing the rest of my fab on on the waiver wire. Finally, Nate, we got all these updates about the starting running backs, you know, coming to us this weekend, people trying to help. And hey, I'll take that from the national reporters over just, you know, recycling the exact same tweets that the team accounts are sending about the practice reports. But people have heard my rant on on that i don't need to waste our time again and again but isaiah pacheco got the starting job with that said jared mckinnon continues to actually lead them in snaps even though he's not the defined starter how much do you think last week was what we should expect moving forward with the chiefs or do you think that we're going to slowly but surely see them put more and more on pacheco's plate
1: i think they will get more on pacheco's plate going forward mostly because kansas city with both of their uh star rookies they when they're in competitive games or when they're behind, they rely more on their veterans. But then once they have a clear lead, that's when they start being more okay relying on some of these younger players. And Kansas City's schedule does get a bit easier going forward. So I think in those games where Kansas City is expected to win by a touchdown or more, those are games where we'll start seeing Pacheco see more of this playing time, get more of these carries. But I think as long as it's a competitive game, um, McKinnon's getting all nearly all of the passing down work, and then almost more frustratingly, he's getting a lot of the short yardage and goal line work. So that could hurt Pacheco's ability to score touchdowns. And Clyde Edwards-Hilaire continues to score touchdowns, even though he's not seeing as much of this short yarded situation. So I think Pacheco becoming the starter mostly hurts um, your ability to start Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. But there will be games where Kansas City has a lead, and Pacheco could be put in your starting lineups in those games.
0: I cackled at the uh, Roto World news headline for the Claude performance, and it was like, the, "He can't, he can't keep getting away with this. Claude Barzal scores another touchdown out there, so continuing to make use with the few touches he's getting. I do agree with Nate's general sentiment that Isaiah Pacheco should slowly but surely get more and more of this work. Though that said, Nate, I don't see Ch just completely hitting the bench. So Pacheco, someone that I do think has a little bit more upside than guys like Latavius Murray in. Honestly, like, yeah, if he can overtake it, that's going to be a better role than if Chuba fully overtakes the Panthers' backfield, obviously. So Isaiah Pacheco, someone that you're more willing to get into the 20% range with Fab?
1: Um, I'm probably still sticking more to 15 since I think it will still be a three-man backfield regardless. I don't think McKinnon's going to be losing the third down role anytime soon, and I think Edwards-Alaire will still see at least some of the early down work throughout the season, even if it becomes more of a minority
0: percentage of the offense would also keep an eye on Khalil Herbert he's look David Montgomery isn't going to Completely leave this system. He's a good running back in his own right. So is Khalil Herbert. Again, it's legal in the year 2022 for offenses to have two good running backs. So, Herbert, not someone we're planning on starting. Just realize if Dave Montgomery misses any amount of time, Herbert would be in the top 15 RB conversation because he would be expecting to handle an every down role. Similar sentiment is true for Alexander Madison, Jalen Warren with the Steelers, and Rashad White with the Buccaneers. So, if you're not in need of guys like to start this very week, strongly consider, you know, stashing Khalil Herbert, Madison, Jalen Warren, and Rashad White if they happen to be on your waiver wire, because hey, then all of a sudden you're gonna have a chance to have the guy that Nate and I would then be talking about this time the following week. All right, let's move on to some wide receivers here. Two guys at the top, Nate, coming off touchdown scoring weeks. We got George Pickens rostered still in just 55% of ESPN leagues and Tyler Boyd at 56.5%. So Boyd, like we kind of know what the guy is at this point. He's going to have some big games here and there when Joe Burrow is going to keep on putting up these overall QB1 fantasy performances. So if you're out there and you need a solid enough flex, yes, we can actually see Tyler Boyd go out there and do some decent enough things. But again, I think we know who he is it was good to see some booms when he wasn't doing much at all earlier in the year George Pickens is the more interesting one because it does seem like Kenny Pickett is going to be the you know just for sure starting quarterback here moving forward I don't think Tomlin is going to be messing around with the Trubisky uh, with the Trubisky Kenny Pickett situation the same way Belichick apparently is going to in New England so how do you have Pickens versus Deontay versus Claypool playing out the rest of the year?
1: Um, Pickens has had a notably higher target share with Kenny Pickett at quarterback than he was having in the past. So I think Pickens can continue to see a high percentage of the targets. I think Deontay Johnson will continue to see his targets as well, but his target share has decreased slightly. And I also noted, uh, Chase Claypool has been involved in some trade rumors. So there's at least a chance that Claypool gets traded. And if that happens, that'll be huge for both of these wide receivers just since Pittsburgh doesn't have a ton of depth at wide receivers. So yeah, someone else will be seeing that playing time, but those targets that will would be going to Claypool will mostly be just going to the other players on the offense. So I um, definitely think Pickens can continue to do good things going forward, have a high target share, and if this offense starts playing better, then that'll be huge for being able to trust Pickens in your starting lineup.
0: Like what? Are we are we trying to blame Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky on Chase Claypool now? Is that how far everything has gone against Claypool? Like okay. I think Pickens is better. I think Deontay Johnson is better. I don't think Miles Boykin or Steven Sims is better than Chase Claypool here, though. So we'll see what happens. If they trade him, you're 100% right. But I just don't think that would be exactly a good move for your rookie quarterback. But alas, talked about Paris Campbell, Juan Dale Robinson, Nate. Now two weeks in a row where we have actually seen him go out there, be a bit of a target hog in a New York Giants offense that, let's face it, I think Daniel Jones is at six passing touchdowns this year, so we don't have the highest upside there, even if Danny Vick is going to go out there and do his thing on the ground. But, hey, enough guys have gotten hurt in this offense that Wanda has a pretty nice opportunity to be that main target hog, still rostered in just 13.5% of ESPN leagues. How much fab wanted to go after the Giants rookie slot receiver?
1: Um, I'd probably be fine with 15%. He's basically completely taken over that slot receiving role for the Giants after um, having just a portion of that role the week before. Um, The offense loves to utilize slot receivers, so I think especially in PPR leagues, I think this is a case where it really depends on your league format, how much you're willing to spend on him, since I think he will be seeing plenty of targets, plenty of catches, not a ton of yards per catch, and not a ton of touchdowns. So um, in PPR leagues, I do think he has a bit more value there, but uh, he has uh, a 27.5 target rate, which is by far the highest on the Giants and among the top 10 wide receivers with at least 50 routes this season. So he's going to keep seeing a ton of targets going forward.
0: How come Wandale Robinson goes out there and has six catches for 50 yards and we're losing our freaking shit about it? But then Darius Slayton has 58 yards and the touchdowns because Wandale's a second round pick and Slayton wasn't, even though Slayton has like an eight touchdown season to his name. I mean, look, I my general thought with this with this Giants passing game day has always been like there's just not it's not a good enough offensive environment to really expect any of these guys to really stand out. But that said, hey, like last year, Detroit wasn't the best offensive environment. And obviously, Amon Rob Brown did what Amon Rob, uh, St. Brown, Amon Rob Brown, uh, he uh, the sun god himself went on to do what he did out there. So it's not impossible. And hey, to be fair, when you do get these guys healthy, maybe it would make sense that Daniel Jones puts up better passing numbers. But couldn't a lot of the alert and the nice things we're saying for Juan Darryl Robinson also apply to Darius Slayton?
1: I think with Slayton, it's because he was like seventh or eighth on the depth chart to start the season where Robinson was expected to potentially get this slot role. Um, He's still rotating a little bit on the outside with some of their other outside wide receivers like Marcus Johnson and Sills. So it's with a bunch of wide receivers that we weren't expecting to be on any roster at any point this year that he's rotating in and out with. And we are still holding out some hope that Tony can come back that Kenny Galladay can come back. And when that happens, it'll be Slayton that loses his snaps rather than Robinson.
0: It is just funny to me. He's he, he's in that like Corey Davis group of guys where they can just make all these great plays and we just basically ignore it because we would much rather the other guys on the roster be the ones making those. So just something to keep in mind. Uh, wide receiver that we, I talked about plenty in that sheesh section to start off the episode. But Zay Jones still rostering just 25% of ESPN League's. Everyone was kind of getting on Zay Jones after the first two weeks of the season, Nate, but then he got injured and we didn't really see him keep on keeping on. He's been back out there, though, these last three weeks, and honestly, we are seeing him having that same every down role in the Jaguars offense that we thought he had, you know, to start the season. That said, the Jaguars passing offense as a whole hasn't been, you know, hitting their big time outcomes as of late. But if they can get back to doing what they, again, were doing early on, Zay Jones is someone that literally hasn't been leaving the field. I mean, I know routes are king and everything, but guess what? You play 98 and 99% of the snaps, you're going to be out there for every single route as well. So Zay Jones, man, if we do see this Jaguars passing game stabilize, he's going to probably be the number two option behind only Christian Kirk.
1: Uh, Yeah, he's seeing the routes and he's also seeing the targets, 46 targets on the season, which is top 24 for wide receivers. So if you look at targets alone, he should be a starting fantasy wide receiver. Hasn't been as efficient on those targets as plenty of other wide receivers. But if this offense starts to play even a little bit better, I think Jones can be a fairly consistent uh, third wide receiver on your fantasy team.
0: All right, guys, quickly on tight end. We talk about him every single week. Hayden Hurst, yeah, he's in an offense with Joe Burrow. He runs a route on 70% plus of the dropbacks each and every week. Hayden Hurst continues to be someone that's going to be squeezed inside our top 12. Don't be afraid to stream him on a week. Looking forward, though, to guys that potentially could have the expanding roles, though, Nate, Greg Dolchich, Kate Otten, Jawan Johnson, all guys that we have seen go out there and flirt with some big-time outcomes. Out of those three, again, Greg Dolchich with the Broncos, Kate Otten with the Buccaneers, and Jawan Johnson with the Saints. Who would you be most willing to pick up now in hopes that they can give you some consistent production down the road?
1: Um, For me, it's definitely Greg with the Broncos. He's been top 12 fantasy tight end each of the past two weeks. I was a little concerned about his role in the past, but... He was being used in some two tight end sets, an increased amount this week compared to the week before, which is something that they weren't really doing with Albert O at any point earlier this season. So the fact that he's starting to see not just the tight end snaps in 11 personnel, but also some in 12 personnel will really help him get his routes up going forward. So as long as he continues to be targeted on a significant number of his routes, he'll keep seeing the volume even if the offense isn't doing as well.
0: And the eye test looked a little better last week. I mean, I know he got the touchdown in week six. There wasn't a defender within 30 yards of him when he caught that pass. And it was not because of some sick double move or something like that. So good points there. Kate Otten, as long as Cameron Bray is going to continue to be sidelined, is playing a near every down role in that Tampa Bay offense. God forbid Tom Brady and company get back. I don't know, scoring more than 21 points in a game. They've done that one time this season. Be a lot cooler. If that was more Then we can, you know, maybe get more in on Kate Otten. Again, though, that is dependent on Cam Brady being out and alongside all that Evan Ingram remains the top at the position we're getting a ton of uh, annoyed and I'm right there with you everyone but a lot of people wondering about what the hell to do with Kyle Pitts uh, in the old comment chat going on here Nate so thoughts on Kyle Pitts rest of the season obviously last week shoulda coulda woulda had a short goal line touchdown it was basically the same thing that happened to Darnell Mooney a couple weeks ago where if he woulda caught it at the exact second that it hit his hands it woulda been a touchdown but because of a brief bobble it put it just outside of the goal line that said man even if you want to say i was a touchdown okay would have had two catches for what 10 yards and a touchdown so it's insane nate that people are asking if kyle pitts is droppable in 12 team leagues but you know what i don't think it's the craziest question in the world what are your thoughts on kyle pitts rest of the season
1: um, I'd hold on to him. Even you mentioned that touchdown and that he almost scored two plays before that. He was going to be the target on another red zone pass, and the defensive lineman realized that he was responsible for covering him and just kind of held his arms around him. So it was defensive pass interference and have a chance to score a touchdown because of that. But he was going to be the target on that play. Um, he's still seeing a target on a very high percentage of his pass routes. We also know he's very talented. It's very much just the volume of past plays that the Falcons have been doing. So um, there's a chance we could see a quarterback change at some point in Atlanta. There's a chance that at some point they'll realize if they're losing a game, they're going to have to pass the ball to catch up. So ideally at some point, Atlanta will start throwing the ball more, but I think because we know this is just an issue with the offense rather than an issue with the player, I'm okay holding on to him in hopes that the offense can change over the course of the rest of the season.
0: Again, it'd be so much easier to sit here and just completely trash Arthur Smith. And I see a bunch of people doing that, but look, he is as he always reminds us, Nate, in the business of winning football games, not fantasy football matchups. And as much as we hate it, this is still a top 12 offense in EPA per play and points per game. Whether that whether that persists the rest of the year, uh, we will see, but I feel you know like I need to mention that every time we talk about some of this usage, because to be fair, we hate it because we want these guys to get the targets, but it has worked. I mean, if you would have told Falcons fans before this year, like, hey, Mariota's your quarterback, and you guys are going to be top 12 in this, I mean, I don't think they would have expected that at all. So you could argue he's making you know chicken salad out of the situation but yeah it just it's not an indictment on Kyle Pitts it's not an indictment on Drake London that they aren't getting these counting stats this is literally guys I had to go back to 2009 to find the offense that has run the ball more often than this edition of the Atlanta Falcons right now the Falcons are at 46.4 percent pass play rate the 2009 rex ryan led jets were the only team that has been more run heavy uh during that period of time so truly this is such an anomaly marcus Mariota has a total of 27 pass attempts over the past two weeks even in a game last week when they were getting blown out for the majority of it a great stat from sam hoppin joe flacco still has more pass attempts than marcus Mariota this season freaking sad and the part that annoys me nate is like look, I look i understand that Passing volume and efficiency is tied together. I always use the example of a three-point shooter, a lot easier to shoot 50% on four attempts than when you're shooting eight or nine attempts per game. Mariota's average of 7.8 yards per attempt, though, is the seventh highest mark among 35 qualified quarterbacks. So, I like, last week was the one that really got me because for them to still continue to just give the ball to Caleb freaking Huntley and Tyler Algier when you're losing in the game, and it's not like Mariota is going out there and completely shooting the bed. I mean, he's averaging nine-plus yards per attempt, over these past two weeks so again comes down to the volume and how much trust and obviously they're watching Marcus every single day at practice and they're running this much for a reason unfortunately though for the time being the only must start in this offense is Cordero Patterson once he gets back off that IR please get better soon CPAT so where does Kyle Pitts fall in your rest of the season rankings Nate I know you always update those every uh Tuesday
1: oh yeah he keeps slipping down a little bit Week by week. So I think he's around 10th for tight ends going forward. So that's still good enough where I'm probably still starting him if I don't have a better alternative in in most leagues. So I'm not dropping him if I'm still considering him a starter in 12 team leagues.
0: One more name I will mention, uh, Harrison Bryant out there. If you were a David Njoku uh, fantasy football manager, he is expecting to miss weeks with a high ankle sprain. Rare miss from our guy, Adam Shefty, saying that was not going to be serious after Sunday. So, high ankle sprain for David Njoku. And that leaves Harrison Bryant as the clear cut number one tight end in Cleveland now. Over these past few years, it was Hooper Njoku and Harrison Bryant. The dude has made the most out of his uh, opportunities. As, uh, you know, Evan Silva will always point out, he is a mother effing Mackie award. Award winner so the guy has done plenty of good things throughout his career and i wouldn't be surprised nate if we just see harrison bryant have that same every down role that dave njoku has i mean he's, i'm sure he's virtually not even rostered in the you know 99 or so of leagues that's on harrison bryant because even though we're gonna need to see it for like a week or two like he's not gonna be someone we're jamming into our top 12s this week he could be the number one tight end we're talking about this time next week based on what happens on monday night against the Bengals.
1: Oh uh, yeah i agree with you i didn't include him in my waivers piece because of that exact report where it said that David Njoku's injury (laughs) wasn't serious. So I included talking about it in my big recap article at least, but um, Harrison Bryant, I do think he will have that every down roll. The only concern is they did add Pharaoh Brown from the Texans a couple weeks ago. Um, Brown with Houston at points was playing up to 60% of offensive snaps. And Brown also suffered an injury, basically the same play. So Harrison Bryant played every snap after the injury, but it was also because he was the only tight end left. So um, there's a little bit of concern there because of that, that Bryant might not see 100% of the snaps because of that. Probably not as talented as Njoku either. And Njoku was someone who was um, at times a top five fantasy tight end this year, but I'd say he was completely healthy. He'd be around top 10 in my rest of season rankings. So he's very borderline of if I would want to start him or not. But um, I if you need a tight end specifically for this week or next week, I definitely consider him.
0: Definitely more so next week. I think there are enough options out there we can feel better about, but yeah, truly one week away from Harrison Bryant, potentially uh, having quite a nice role on his hands. And we are only a few weeks away now from Deshaun Watson getting back into action and boosting that upside of every single pass game weapon involved in Cleveland. So quick recap, everyone top five waiver wire additions of the week, Chuba Hubbard, Gus Edwards, Paris Campbell, Daniel Jones, and Evan Ingram hate to be boring, but none of these guys really warrant you going out of your way to spend a lot of a fab on them with Chuba Hubbard looking at about 20%. Gus Edwards closer to 15. Paris Campbell, Daniel Jones, and Evan Ingram more so 10% or less type of guys. At quarterback, if he's available, because he's coming off the bye, and people like Nate, you people, Nate, don't like to hold two quarterbacks, which is a smart move, by the way. Just trying to crack a few jokes over here. But facing the Cardinals this week, still available in about a third of ESPN leagues. Go get Kirk Cousins if he's available. If not, we love Daniel Jones against that Seahawks. Uh, offense and defense could be a potential sneaky shootout going on in Seattle. And Justin Fields, not a great matchup against Michael Parsons and the Cowboys, but with enough rushing upside, man, the guy can overcome bad spots like that. At running back, Michael Carter, Daryl Henderson, Gus Edwards, Latavius Murray, Isaiah Pacheco, alongside Chuba Hubbard as the six guys that, hey, you need a running back. You need a spot to fill. We do have the Chiefs and Chargers on by, I understand. So Pacheco's doesn't quite match into that, but you guys know what I'm talking about. Once again, though, not players that you should necessarily be going too super far out of your way to go roster. Out of all of them, I would say Daryl Henderson makes the most sense. That said, Kyron Williams coming back, there is a little bit of concern there. I would honestly, again, if you don't need these guys like to start for you this week or the next week, you're just loaded at running back. There's higher upside guys available like Khalil Herbert, Rashad White, even Jalen Warren out there where one injury away from us, not saying 15-20% you know, fab, we're saying 50% plus or just you know blow your whole freaking bank account on those guys Wide receiver, George Pickens, I would say, you know, over Paris Campbell, but obviously with Paris Campbell, it's just he's only owned in 2.7% of ESPN leagues. So George Pickens, someone that just keeps on making the big plays, and with Kenny Pickett under center, we have seen him favor him. So George Pickens, Tyler Boyd, probably the two guys we're going to have ranked the highest this week based on their availability, but don't sleep on Paris Campbell, Wandale Robinson, and especially Zay Jones with that every down roll. Again, at tight end, Evan Ingram. Hayden Hurst looking like the guys that we're most confident in this week, but Greg Dolchich very much on the rise. And don't be surprised if guys like Harrison Bryant are big time factors starting next week. Sound about right, Nate?
1: Oh, yeah. I think the only thing I'd add is there were a ton of wide receiver injuries this past week. There could be a bit more people trying to add a wide receiver off the waiver wire than in past weeks. So don't be afraid to add an extra dollar or two just to make sure you're slightly outbidding whoever else is trying to get the wide receiver you want.
0: And get funky with those bids. Don't put $10 down, put 12, you know. Not can't do the round numbers. I I had a ex-girlfriend in high school, and she refused to put the stereo on anything other than like zero or five. Don't be that fab person. Be weird. These people, there are people out there. I have met them that refuse to do things like that. Easy way for you to just again differentiate those fab bids a little bit. Go get the players that you want. Let's go wrap up this edition of the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. Everyone, every single Tuesday, gonna be breaking down these waiver wires. We've done it. Eight now, and guess what? we got about eight or nine more to go. Nate, let the people know what you got cooking over at PFF.com.
1: I still have my rest of season rankings up today. I had the five to add, five to drop, five to buy low, five to sell high. That went up today. Had the Monday night recap that went up last night with a bunch of good details about both the Patriots and the Bears' backfield. Um, The recap, if you needed anything from this past weekend, have the recap and top ten recap. And going forward, I will have my rankings up tomorrow, starts at the day after that. And then we'll get into the Thursday night recap and all of next week's action
0: do it all over again. Kings stay kings, as some might say. Appreciate you as always, Nate. And appreciate all you guys always tuning in with us. Again, especially fun having a reasonable YouTube comment section. We had some Russian sex bots in there. You're just really trying to you know, help fulfill their you know, waiver wire rosters. Hey, hey, everyone plays fantasy football, man. So I'm not here to discriminate. If the Russian sex bots want to come find out you know, what we're talking about and who to put their fab on, that is fine by me. So appreciate all you out there, even those bots. Uh, for Nate, I'm Ian. Thanks so much for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football. Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody.